From Springfield, this is State Week, a program of analysis and commentary on the events that made news this past week in Illinois state government and politics. The state's finances were such a mess, it was kind of a nightmare. J.B. Pritzker knew things needed to change. Now, J.B.'s straightening out the state's finances, passing balanced budgets, and getting bills paid on time. And that is an ad from the recent election. You can't argue that Illinois' budget picture has improved over the last few years, but where does the state really stand financially? Well, in this episode of State Week, we're doing something a little different. We're going to devote the show to discussing the fiscal outlook for the state of Illinois, and we have some people who closely follow the numbers to join us. I'm Sean Crawford in Springfield. With us, we have Charlie Wheeler, Professor Emeritus and former director of the Public Affairs Reporting Program at the University of Illinois Springfield. Charlie's also been a longtime Statehouse reporter and observer. Our guests are two people who keep a close eye on the state's revenue and obligations. We have Amanda Cass, assistant professor in the School of Public Service at DePaul University. Her research concerns public finance, public pensions, housing markets, and urban governance. Her current project looks at how governments are spending federal funds that they were allocated from the American Rescue Plan Act. And Amanda, it's good to have you back with us on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Also, we have David Merriman. He is the Stuckel Presidential Professor at the University of Illinois at Chicago. He directs the University of Illinois' Fiscal Futures Project, which monitors the fiscal condition of the state of Illinois. And Professor Merriman's areas of expertise include state tax policies, property taxes, and business taxation. Much of his current research deals with the impact of the rise in work from home on city finances. And David, it's good to have you with us as well. Thanks. Nice to be here. And David, I'm going to start with you first. Uh, just about a week ago, the governor's Office of Management and Budget put out its latest economic and fiscal policy report, and it paints a pretty rosy picture of where the state is at. What is your take on the numbers in that report? Yeah, I think the numbers are probably uh, pretty accurate. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the problem I have is they always restrict it uh, just to the general fund, which is only about half of the spending of the state. But I think the general trend is right. The, the real thing that I would emphasize is the importance of the, the large amount of federal funds that have come in over the past few years. And that just makes it hard to extract what's the underlying fiscal condition of the state. But for sure, we look in pretty good shape today. And Amanda, you've taken a look at this as well. Yeah, I, I agree with David um, a lot. I think the kind of importance of the federal money that's gone to state and local governments really can't be overstated. And then also the kind of unusual economic circumstances that we're in. So one of the aspects is that the governor's office of um, management and budget is projecting higher than previously estimated revenue in part um, through things like sales tax and income tax collections. To me, it kind of highlights just like this uncertainty that we've been in during the, the pandemic. Um, and it kind of, governments have, have taken, I think, cautious approaches to estimating their revenue, especially because at the very start of the pandemic, we saw really significant shortfalls in tax collections. But that kind of bleak picture at the start of the pandemic hasn't borne out. And so revenue has kind of consistently been better than expected, again, because governments have been using these conservative estimates. 
Yeah, and Shirley, we've talked about this on the show before. How surprisingly, really, that these uh, that the revenue has has come in the way it has, especially when there was so much doom and gloom about that heading uh, into the pandemic. Yeah, the the numbers that the governor's office on management budget put out were, were very favorable, and it's kind of interesting if you look at it historically. They do these periodically, and they did one. I want to say it was. I guess three years ago, it was in 2019. And in 2019, they predicted that the FY23, the fiscal year we're in, they predicted that there would be a, a budget deficit in our general funds of $2.9 billion. And now the, the current one, the FY22 forecast that came out uh, oh, a week or so ago, they're saying that it's $1.7 billion positive. So our finances have really turned around. And as a matter of fact, the Commission on Government Forecasting and Accountability, which basically is the fiscal brain trust for the General Assembly, also came out with a report. And their report was even more favorable than Gombe's. And they updated their revenue estimate for the current fiscal year, which ends next June 30th, to show that Compared to FY22, which ended last June 30th, we're actually going to show $259 million in surplus in terms of the red, not in surplus, but the revenues are going to come in $259 million above where they were in FY22, the actual numbers. When the original budget put together last spring, figured we were going to lose more than $4 billion. So there's been a real turnaround. And as was mentioned, a lot of it has to do with the unexpected, the impact of, of the COVID and the economic shutdown. The uncertainty in these, and Kotka pointed out this, is going forward, they are looking at things that we don't know about. Would there be a resurgence of the COVID-19 variants? How about the unstable geopolitical environment? Ukraine-Russia conflict, for example. What will be the impact of inflation? Will people stop buying stuff? Will businesses lay people off? How severe will the recession be? And when will it start? Those kinds of things. In this particular report that was released roughly the same time as the governor's report, as I say, COGFA is more optimistic than the governor's by a billion plus, but they also sound warnings that we're still in kind of uncertain territory going forward. Isn't inflation, David, really something that's the unknown? I think a lot of people thought that maybe that would be more under control by now than than what it appears to be. And, uh, you know, concerns of a recession, all of that coming, that, that makes it very difficult to budget going forward. Yeah, I think, you know, inflation is important. So inflation's, you know, been roughly 9% over the past year. So you might see an increase in sales tax revenue of something like 9%. At least that's what we're seeing on a lo- more local level. That sounds good, except if you're going to have inflation of 9%, you're probably going to have demands for increased salaries as well. So it really may buy you nothing, even though your revenues are going up. I just want to add one other thing to what Charlie said. And I originally did talk about the federal revenues, but in looking at our data, which covers not just the general fund, but the entire budget, we see an increase uh, in fiscal 22 in the corporate income tax of about $4 billion over what it was in 21. So 
that's the corporate income tax is notoriously volatile because you know corporations do well in one year and then they have big losses in the next year. So if we hit a recession, uh, you know, a great deal of that revenue could disappear. And uh, that's, you know, when we're talking about a few hundred million dollars of surplus in the general fund, that could easily wipe it out. Just just changes in corporate revenue, corporate uh, income tax revenue. Yeah. And Amanda, the critics of the governor are being quite skeptical, let's say, about some of the uh, the rosy budget picture because of the fact that they're saying, oh, well, all of this money is coming from the feds. That's the only way that Illinois has been able to dig itself out of this hole. That's not the only reason, but how big of a role did it actually play? It's certainly not the only reason, but it is a, a huge factor. So just looking at 2023 and the revenue revisions that GOMB made, um, you know, a, a good chunk of the upward revenue increase. So GOMB is saying, you know, we're going to, revenue looks to be almost 3.7 billion more than previously estimated. Well, a good chunk of that, um, nearly $800 million is from the American Rescue Plan Act money. So this is just a transfer. This is the state moving money from um, a special state fund that has the ARPA money into the general fund. So it's a, at least for 2023, that's a kind of one-time uh, increase in revenue, but about 40% of that nearly 3.7 billion projected increase is coming from uh, recurring tax sources. So it's, it's coming from the personal and corporate income taxes as well as sales tax revenue. So it's really, for 2023, it's really um, a mix. Uh, and I think also if you if you read the the GOMB's forecast carefully, which you know I know Dave and Charlie and I, I I do, but other people might not. What you'll see is is they show that the state's kind of financial picture for the next couple of years, so 2023, 24, is fairly rosy. But then they are projecting deficits in the in the outer years. And so I'd say that kind of short term for the state's finances looks very positive, but with some uncertainty in the future and the state's kind of structural imbalances, structural challenges remain. But again, that's clear if you kind of read carefully the report. And, and I, yeah, I just wanted to, to second that point. You know, uh, Charlie talked about the deficits that were projected in 2019. It's hard to see what structural change has taken place. Now, if you read the Gombe report, the governor will argue that, you know, he's been kind of tough on spending. And so maybe the rate of spending, well, it's hard to tell. It certainly hasn't slowed down because spending soared during the COVID, but maybe the underlying rate of spending has gone down a little bit, but it doesn't seem like much. And there hasn't been fundamental change in any of the revenue policies. So it's hard to see if we were in a structural situation you know, that is that we, we weren't raising enough revenue to pay our bills in the past. Why would that be different once we're through the COVID problem? Well, kind of following up on what David said, the 2019 forecast for FY25, which is as far out as, as the Gambi report uh, has the, the data, said that we would have a deficit of 3.2 billion at the end of FY25, June 30th, 2025. Now the current forecast shows that we'll have a deficit of 384 million. So that is a, a, a big improvement. I'm not sure 
David, I'm, I'm not sure what you can attribute that to, more economic activity perhaps? Yeah, because we didn't really have substantial tax increases. Uh, the major tax increase we had was we doubled the gasoline tax and that money all goes for basically capital improvements, roads, bridges, highways, and so on. And I, I think part of it is the, the feds pumping money, not so much into the state per se, but into individuals providing added unemployment, helping to prop up small businesses to keep people working. The fact that the feds have increased the share that they paid of health care for uh, poor people, all those things helped put money into the Illinois economy, not necessarily into the state coffers immediately, but people who had more money from the feds would go out and buy stuff. So sales tax would, would improve. The fact that the wages have risen, not quite as high as inflation, but they have risen compared to what they were several years ago. So people may be paying more income tax. Uh, the stock market had a couple of good years. Corporations, investors are pay, maybe paying more. So it's, there's a lot of different factors that go into it. And I'm not nearly intelligent or smart enough or well-versed enough to point them all out. But I think that's, I guess, one of the things that makes projections so interesting. You, you take a guess on what's going to happen. You don't really know. And yet we hear this talk about, and I've heard the term fiscal cliff. Amanda, is that a, is that a fair statement about what could be looming for the state? You talked about just a couple of years out, we could see a real reversal in these uh, budget projections. I think it's a bit challenging to figure out. So the, the state got um, billions of dollars from the federal government that it has discretion over from uh, first the CARES Act and then second the American Rescue Plan Act. And the states use a lot of that though on one-time expenses. So using some of that for uh, capital projects, um, a really good chunk of that money has gone to replenishing the unemployment trust fund. I think what's a little more murky to me is how much of that money is going to recurring spending. And that's where we would see a, a kind of potential cliff is if we're using one-time money from the federal government to, to pay for ongoing recurring expenses, what's going to happen when we don't have that federal money after um, 2024? Of course, the governor has come out with his own proposals of ways to spend some of this money, but also to pay down debts, uh, put more money aside, the rainy day fund he wants to boost. Is that a, a more prudent way to go? One thing to note is that, and this is a little, a little complex and a little wonky, but so the American Rescue Plan Act dollars, they can't be used to directly pay down debt. And at the start of the pandemic, the state of Illinois was one of the only governments that, that took out short-term debt from the Federal Reserve through the municipal liquidity facility. What the state did with its ARPA money um, is, because the ARPA money can be used for revenue replacement, so use it for general fund spending, which then can free up general fund revenue, which the state used to pay off its municipal liquidity facility debt early, um, and thereby kind of saving some money on, on, on that debt. I think it's a really kind of prudent move, especially given the kind of uncertainty of what's going on with the economy, what's going on with um, the pandemic itself, um, and the kind of cloudy picture of, of the kind of near, near term. I will say, you know, I, I will give the, the governor 
uh, and his staff a big pat on the back for uh, what they're trying to do with the uh, rainy day fund and, and uh, you know, some of the other ways in which they really are trying to, you know, pay down some of the debt, uh, some of the pension debt, and also spending on uh, K-12 education, I think, uh, really should be thought of as an investment in the future. Um, and, and also helping out local governments to some extent. So those, I, I very much applaud that. I think it's gonna take a lot of intestinal fortitude to uh, keep the legislature in line when they see that kind of funds go not being spent and going into kind of thinking about the future. But, you know, and e even though uh, we're up over a billion dollars in the rainy day fund, the governor's office is rightly, I think, saying we need significantly more. I was going to piggyback on what David said is, is you know, it's notable that going into the pandemic, how kind of shaky the state of Illinois' finances were. So the state really had nothing in, in reserves. It didn't have a kind of rainy day fund that it could tap into. And that's why it had to take out, um, well, that plus uh, the state's poor credit rating was why it had to turn to the Federal Reserve and take out um, debt from the municipal liquidity facility. And so I think it, it's really prudent to kind of try and build up its uh, reserves, again, build up the unemployment trust fund. These are kind of one-time expenses, but they can bolster the state's finances for when there is another downturn. And Charlie, David had mentioned a moment ago intestinal fortitude when it comes to dealing with the legislature. They want to spend money quite often. They have a lot of programs, a lot of ideas, a lot of needs. Uh, that's the hard part when it comes to shoring up state finances is oftentimes you can't put money into those things if you need to pay down existing debt or you need to uh, you know, save more money, put it into a rainy day fund. That is going to be a challenge, I would think, especially with Democrats having such a big control in the legislature. I think many of them will probably feel emboldened and want to do more. Yeah, that that is true, and that's always historically been the case. There's always more good causes, and I don't think anybody would argue that putting more money into education is is not good, or it's a waste, or more money to hire it, or money more money to human services uh, to help out people who, who need those kinds of assists. The good causes are always more costly than you have dollars to use for them. And so I was encouraged, I guess, by the initial reaction of both the uh, current and future Senate President Don Harmon, current and future House Speaker Manuel Chris Welch, when their initial reaction was, yeah, we kind of agree with the governor. We should maybe putting more money into the rainy day fund we should be maybe paying off some of these bonds that we sold in the height of the great recession to try and help us pay bills um maybe put more money toward the unemployment insurance trust fund so their initial reaction was not oh yeah let's go out and spend all this money and the idea that they will be able to hold their members from doing it it'll be interesting to see and I'm thinking back in the days when I covered the legislature for the Sun-Times for 20-some years, it was not uncommon as we headed towards the end of the spring session that somebody would come up and say, I got this wonderful new program, and it, it's going to cost X amount of dollars. And the budget folks would say, well, we really don't have X amount of dollars. And then the legislature would say, or the legislator would say, well, let's let's start in January then, and it only take half of X. 
And they say, okay, we'll do that. And I'm thinking to myself, I thought at the time, and I still do, so is this a program that you're only going to fund it for half a year, and when the next full year comes around, are you only going to, say, operate the program every other day <laughs> or, or every other week? That, that's, I guess, in human nature, you want to try and do everything as much as you can, even though the resources don't stretch that far. Well, one thing we have not touched on is pension debt for the state of Illinois, and uh, that's looming out there as well. Amanda, you follow this quite closely. Uh, the state has been making pension payments. Are they doing enough, and should more be done possibly when things are, are looking up, at least temporarily here, for the state's finances? I know it's kind of like in, incredible <laughs> that we're, you know, pensions aren't like the headline, and we're not talking about kind of some pension crisis with the state uh, pension systems. Um, so the, the state has been making its required payments. Um, so it has to get the pension systems to 90% funded by the end of 2045. Right now, the five state pension systems are collectively about 42% funded, um, meaning that kind of for every $1 in a pension liability, we've got 42 cents in the bank. So we've got quite a far way to go to get to that 90% target. Um, but the state's making progress with its payments. In the last couple of years, they, they've actually put in several hundred millions of dollars more into the pension systems than is required under current law, uh, which is, again, kind of prudent. If you think of the pension debt like other forms of debt, you know, the, the more you can pay down on that debt now, the kind of less you have to pay in the future, you kind of um, decrease your future like interest payments. So I think it's a really prudent move. We're still kind of just treading water with our pension systems. Uh, the pension systems funding levels really haven't moved much. They haven't increased significantly or decreased that significantly since the last financial crisis since 2008. So kind of just treading water there. In theory, a pension system is supposed to put in enough money into, into the bank account to cover the cost of the benefits that someone earns in a given year. In the case of Illinois, we have never done that from day one. For more than 100 years, we have not funded the actual cost. We've always shortchanged it. And part of the reason, I believe, is what we were talking about earlier. There's all these good causes immediately. Give more money to school kids. Give more money to poor people. Help, help out people who are sick rather than thinking, well, how much money do I have to set aside so that Joe Sixpack 30 years from now, we'll have a pension. And we've always shorted them historically. As a matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, the current level of funding is roughly where it was 50 years ago when the Constitutional Convention put in the, the guarantee of pension benefits. And every year, there are the major systems come up with two numbers. They say under the 1995 law, that as Amanda suggested, is to get us 90% funding by 2045, Here's how much you have to put in for us this year. But then they also do an actuarial count saying, if you really wanted to fund the pensions to cover the cost of the benefits that Charlie Wheeler is earning this year and to make up for what you didn't put in in the past, here's how much you should put in. And the largest pension system that the state funds is for teachers, the teacher's retirement system. Well, they're getting an appropriation of roughly $9.1 billion, I believe, which is what or I, let me back up. They're getting $6 billion this year. The actuaries say, well, if you want to do it, 
according to the uh, accounting standards and the way you're supposed to run things, you should put $9 billion in and that ain't going to happen. Two things that I think about that we haven't touched on quite a bit, um, and those are on the spending side. The, the first is K through 12 education. So the state is putting more into education each year, but it's still not reaching the kind of full level if it was going to fully pay the, the evidence based formula, right? So even though we've increased the amount of money that's going to K through 12 education, we're still kind of far below the optimal level or the, the amount that we wanted to reach under the evidence-based funding formula. And so that's kind of one issue that I think um, if this if we want to really invest more in K through 12 education and we really want to shift how education is funded in Illinois from it being pri primarily local property taxes to it being state kind of state money. Um, that that's a challenge. And the other is uh, human services. So we really saw during the budget impasse years that sector really decimated. And one thing I'm always interested in is about how is that sector kind of being rebuilt, right? Because oftentimes the state contracts out those services to third-party organizations, nonprofits, um, and places closed during the budget impasse. And so it wasn't just about the state suddenly being able to fund these services again, but we need to build up that network of providers that existed. Um, so I think that there's a, a real kind of cost to rebuilding a, a robust kind of social safety net. You know, the unemployment trust fund is supposed to be a self-financing system. That is the employer premiums are supposed to cover the cost. And uh, historically, it hasn't worked too well for Illinois because we've basically, uh, when when times were relatively good, we had high levels of employment and low levels of unemployment. What we've done is, you know, cut the premiums or at least not raise the premiums so we haven't really built up the surpluses. So what we're doing now is is kind of getting rid of some of the debt that we built up in the system. But I, I think, you know, it really, the legislature should really look at whether we want to think about a different strategy and during boom times actually build up a surplus that we're going to need during the, the downturns. And time now for our notes from the field. And Amanda, uh, go to you first. Sure. So I was reading a really interesting article in Next City that's about local governments that are using their federal money from the American Rescue Plan Act to cancel medical debt. So Toledo got a lot of headlines uh, this past week about it. Toledo is obviously not in Illinois, um, but the article mentions that Cook County is actually one of the governments that's using some of its ARPA money to just cancel people's medical debt. All right, and Charlie? Well, we still won't know the final official certified results from the election until, I guess it'll be next week, when the State Board of Elections file the, the, the official tally the initial reports show that our turnout was not really that good in the 2022 midterm. And in fact, Matt Dietrich, who was a spokesman for the Illinois board said, I'd estimate the statewide turnout at 50 to 51%. Uh, four years ago, the midterm in 2022 was 57%. And it's gone back and forth. So this would be one of the lower. Interestingly, though, the turnout in the city of Chicago was pretty low. It's only 44%. 44% in suburban Cook. DuPage was 55%. But among the 
the top 10 most populous jurisdictions, the highest turnout came from the smallest locale, Sangamon County, here at Springfield, had 59.25% of its 135,000 registered voters show up. And the reason was, according to Sangamon County Clerk Don Gray, uh, his office spent a lot of time to inform voters about all the voting options, including mail-in voting, early voting, in-person voting, all that. And there was two very competitive races here, one for Congress and one for a state Senate seat. All right, well, we're out of time for this episode of State Week. And thanks to our panel, Charlie Wheeler, also professors Amanda Cass and David Merriman. Get a podcast of our show. It's available at nprillinois.org through the NPR One app or iTunes. Just look for State Week. I'm Sean Crawford, and join us next time. You've been listening to State Week, a program of commentary and analysis of events in Illinois state politics and government. State Week is produced in the state capitol by public radio station NPR Illinois. This is IPR, Illinois Public Radio.